Judges 14, beginning at verse 1. This is what Holy Scripture says. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went, and he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that, they had, that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. 
After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I, come, when I, when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as to the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take your Bibles again and open to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, and as you do that, I shall pray that God would speak to us through his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we have sung of your great holiness and greatness. We have confessed our sins to you. We have brought our prayers of thanksgiving. We have heard your word read. And now we pray that your word would do its work in our lives Lord Jesus, you promised that there was not a single letter that was, not a single word in this book that is unimportant, and all of it intent to teach us, and so we pray that you might not only teach, but bring about change in our hearts as we look to your word. We want to be people who know you and follow you with all of our hearts, so show us Christ today, even as we look at this man, Samson. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Do you have a relative who comes with a warning label? I mean, I think most of us do or most of us have had a relative. It's the kind of person that if you're going over to that person's house or they're coming to your house and you got friends there, you just, you pull your friends aside, you say, just, I just want you to know, Uncle Louie's coming over, he's a little bit weird, uh, he kind of smells different or he's like really invasive or he doesn't have like good like people skills or he's like really blunt or it's just something. Like, you, so you're thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? Like everybody's got an Uncle Louie. Why are you warning your friends about Uncle Louie before he shows up? By the way, if your name's Louie, I'm not thinking of you. I just thought I should say that. Uh, but why, and my fictitious Uncle Louie, why are you warning your friends about Uncle Louie before he shows up? You're warning your friends because he's an embarrassment to you. He embarrasses you. 
He does, he's just, he's kind of creepy, weird, cringeworthy Uncle Louie. You're just thinking, I don't really, he just, ah, he, if it's just us, we understand. But now that you're bringing other people into the family, you just feel this tension, this embarrassment about Uncle Cringeworthy. Christian, are you ever tempted to feel that kind of shame and embarrassment about your Savior? Let's pick up the story of Samson in Judges chapter 14. And before we unpack the details of the events that happened here, I want to give you four just sort of concepts that are really helpful to understand as you get through the rest of his story. Four S's, the letter S. Uh, well, actually, the first one sounds like an S, but it's a C. Uh, cycle, stairs, secrets, and spirit. Those four. So just going to talk about those four for a minute. They're going to help us not just today, but in the days coming after. So first, cycle. In chapter 14, you're introduced to the adult life of Samson, and it is a messy life. It also starts to reveal what is a repeating pattern in the narrative of his life. And it goes like this. Samson has, this is the cycle. Samson has an interaction of some kind with the Philistines. There is some kind of secret or riddle that's either made or exposed. Then there is betrayal either by or into the hands of the Philistines. And then finally, Samson harms the Philistines. And then the whole cycle starts over again. Now, understanding that repeating cycle is really helpful, especially when you get to the end of Samson's life. So cycle is one thing you gotta keep in your head. Stairs is another thing, or looks, if you like. Um, we have the advantage of having read the whole book, right? Hopefully you've been reading through the book of Judges, you know how the life of Samson ends, all that kind of stuff. So we will see things in the early parts of the Samson story that are pointing forward to the last part of his story. And in fact, all the chapters that follow in the book of Judges. For instance, as a man, Samson is forever acting on whatever woman looks right in his own eyes which is a portent of what is to come in Judges 17 where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Same words. In that sense, Samson as an individual is a picture of what the whole nation is going to become. So cycle, stairs, the looks of Samson. Then third, secrets. The Samson story is full of secrets. And as readers of the story, we're always in on the secret. We know the secret before it's exposed. For example, we know about the honey from the Dead Lions Society when nobody else does. We also know the most important secret of all, which is God's secret. We were told about the, the nativity of Samson, but not only that, look at Judges chapter 14, verse four. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he, the Lord, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. 
So we just got to remember where we are in Israel's history. They are the chosen people of God with whom God has made covenant, but they are living in open rebellion against God. They are serving little g gods, idols, and things like that, which is why God permits these foreign nations to invade their land, and hopefully the discomfort of that is causing them to call out and to God and to return to Yahweh. As we saw at this stage in the book of Judges, in Israel's history, nobody's calling out. Nobody's connecting the dots. Rather than cry out to Yahweh for deliverance, they have accepted their status as kind of a suburb of Philistia. It would be like the United States of America just one day saying, we take Saskatchewan, thank you very much. And the rest of us just going, ah, all right. If Israel is not going to fight for themselves, God will fight on their behalf using one of them. God, in verse 4, God is the one who's looking for ways to beat back the Philistines. And he's willing to use an embarrassing, sexually charged, secret Nazarite to do it. Which takes us to the one last bit of helpful background stuff before we get into the story. So, number four is this, the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. So, we are absolutely certain that God is the one bringing about these somewhat bizarre deliverances by the hand of a very embarrassing deliverer, and that's all because of a verb, not just verse four, but look at verse six, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the line in pieces as one tears a young goat. This rushing upon is, is used mostly of Samson, once of David, a few times of, of Saul. It, it's, it's the idea of suddenly possessing, seizing, opening up and penetrating. It's, it seems to emphasize the sovereign action of the Spirit and the sudden empowerment the Spirit brings to the person he seizes. It was this sudden seizing that enabled Samson to tear apart a lion like it was a young goat, to kill 30 Ashkenazite men for the clothes off their back, and to knock off another thousand with a jawbone, a donkey jawbone, not his own. <laughs> and that's one reason why I kind of wish, kids, that in your storybook Bible, Samson was always really, really skinny. Because he doesn't have to, and I don't think he probably did. I don't think he looked like the Hulk or Captain America or whoever, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever it is that you think is some huge guy. We, we just tend to think that he must have looked that way to be so powerful. Really, he's just a gland-driven man, occasionally used of God to knock off all the bad guys. And the point of the story is that the strength was not his own. It came from the Lord. So, with those four little ideas in the back of your mind, let's sort of unpack a failed marriage that led to God's judgment on his enemies. It comes to us in three scenes. Scene one is this. Some saviors are just a red-blooded man, or some saviors are just red-blooded men who go after a good-looking girl. So, welcome to, welcome to Samson. Uh, okay, first the cycle starts, Philistine interaction. Verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw, right, 
one of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as a wife. His father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, right away, I got a lot of questions. I don't know about you. What on earth was Samson doing in a Philistine city or a town? And what made this particular unnamed woman so delightful to his eyes? Actually, that second question is the unanswerable question. If you just look around this room, you maybe have done this before, and you've seen some dude who's a friend of yours, and, you, and then and this, his beautiful wife, and you think, I have no idea why on earth she would ever marry him. This is what people think about me all the time. I have an answer for you, though. Three things are too wonderful. Remember that word from last week? Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. And the way of a man with a young woman. I think Egor, the son of Jacka, when he wrote that proverb, was looking at a friend of his and going, dude, why are you in love with her? That is incomprehensible to me. It is too wonderful for me. And the dude answers, get out of my way. I'm in love. It is a mystery. It is too wonderful. Samson certainly feels attracted to this one Philistine woman. And so he demands that his parents do something about it. And what were poor Mr. and Mrs. Manoah supposed to do? What, what are they thinking? They're not pleased. You're a Nazarite to Yahweh, son. And you want to marry the daughter of one of our uncircumcised oppressors? But love is love. <laughs> I guess, at least in these days. But then again, we are in on the secret, right? Verse 4. His father and mother did not know that it, the love of Samson for this particular woman was from the Lord, for he, the Lord, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So God is using Samson's lust to start or begin rescuing his people from the Philistines. God is never the author of sin, but he can use the effects of sins for his purposes. If you don't believe me, you might just want to ponder the cross. Strange providences in your own family may be from the Lord, sister. They may not make any outward sense to you now, but it could be that God is accomplishing some great salvation or deliverance that you could never predict, and he's using the very poor choices of people that you love. I think that might help you pray. Maybe you have a child who's wandered from the Lord, has denied the Lord, is not living for God. God used sensual Samson to do good for his people. And Samson seems to have finally come around at the end. We'll see, maybe. <laughs> and I would say to you, sister, to you, brother, don't stop praying 
for those who look like they are acting in all the wrong ways. Perhaps the Lord, and this is hard to get your head around, but think about this, perhaps the Lord has purposes in the lives of other people that are all tied up in the struggles of your loved one. We'll only be sure of such things on the last day. But we can pray with hope until then. Maybe your prayer is something like, Lord, I don't know why this son of mine, this daughter of mine strays so far, but use it for your purposes and please bring them back. That's a prayer you can pray. It's a prayer your church family loves to pray with you. Now, what is the uh, secret in this particular episode? Well, the Apostle Peter said this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And it just occurred to me, I wonder if he had this in mind, because here we are in verse 5. Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord, rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Now, what on earth does a dead lion have to do with a proposal for marriage? As far as we know, this is the first occasion of God's Holy Spirit empowering Samson in this way. If you, if you see at the end of verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, but this seems to be the first time where he is empowered. I don't know what it's like to tear apart a young goat. Does anyone here know what it's like to tear apart a young goat. I don't. I imagine it takes a significant amount of effort, but it, I can picture someone being able to tear apart a goat. This lion attacks, and Samson is strengthened, physically strengthened to tear apart a lion like it was a little goat. I think the episode serves three purposes. One is this. God is showing that he will protect the Savior he provides until it is time for that Savior to die. You may want to file that one away. God will protect the Savior he provides until it's time for the Savior to die. Secondly, Samson himself is being sh shown what kind of strength he can wield if the Spirit of God rushes upon him. So this is his first opportunity to test his wings, as it were. Thirdly, it provides the opportunity, a bizarre opportunity, to kill some Philistines. Because <laughs> that's what the angel of the Lord told Manoah's wife. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You can be tempted in this story to feel bad for the Philistines. You're not supposed to feel bad for the Philistines. You should be mocking them. Because the way they all get killed is, is kind of pathetic. And they're the enemies of God's people. They're oppressing God's people. This story is written, if you're, if you're a good Jewish boy growing up reading this story, you're like, ha, 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 the Philistines. That's, that's how it's supposed to be read. Now, the fact that Samson keeps the miraculous lion kill a secret from everybody is only important insofar as it relates to the rest of the story. So, 
family goes down to Timnah. He checks out the young lady again. This time taking some time to talk to her, not just gawk at her. And the proposal for marriage seems to be uh, accepted. And he heads home thinking, ooh la la, I found myself a Philistine woman, and now I'm just waiting for the wedding day. But before we get there, we need to see one more little episode tied to the dead lion. Verse 8, after some days he returned to take her. This is going to be the great wedding celebration. And he turned aside, curiosity I guess, to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. I'm scared of bees. I wouldn't have gone near it. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he didn't tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, I'm of the opinion that this was no great sin on his part. It's sort of happenstance. Uh, It's the carcass of a lion, whatever. I think the author is simply letting us know in advance the meaning of the riddle that Samson will tell his Philistine friends. Don't get me wrong. I am not lining up to eat honey out of a dead lion carcass. (laughs) I don't even want to eat honey out of your hand, which is apparently how he gave it to his parents. I would like a spoon. I don't even want to eat honey. But Samson takes a big scoop, shares with mom and dad. They they catch up together. They they go on to Timnah. But he doesn't tell them where he got the honey. And that little bit of information is important because of what comes next. Samson is now a honey-filled young man heading to marry his Philistine honey. You're welcome. What could go wrong? Uh, Okay, so now we get to the betrayal. Verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, we have to assume that this is all just sort of culturally relevant data points in order for us to understand the story. So the young men used to do. Uh, The time this is being written, apparently it wasn't done anymore. So the the custom of the time is you're going to have a week-long party, and there needs to be representatives from the other side of the family, so they send along 30 companions. A week-long pre-wedding banquet. It's a drinking party, that's evident, and as it rollicks on, Samson does what many men do at parties. He makes a bet, and his wager is that these new so-called 30 friends of his will never solve a riddle. What better way to pay for the elaborate week-long wedding reception than win a bet off the wedding party? All right. So verse 12, Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you could tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments, that's underwear, and 30 changes of clothes, that's clothes, But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And maybe that sounds a little bit odd to us when you can just like run to Walmart and buy a shirt for $10. Maybe you can't anymore. Uh, But uh, clothing was actually a thing of great value culturally. You didn't have 25 changes of clothes. So this this is a pretty astronomical bet. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. I mean, seven days to solve a riddle, and there's 30 of us to figure it out? How hard can it be? And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. 
And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. <laughs> when we were young and childless living in California, we had a bunch of other young couples that we'd get together. We'd play this game all the time. It was like, who, it was like we're going camping. I can't remember what it was called, but like one person would say, I'm taking bubbles, but not water. And the next person would be like, I'm taking meat, but not bread. And everybody who was in on the riddle would go, no, you can't go, you can't go, you can't go. And then somebody who knew the riddle would say, I know, I'm taking this and not that. And you were always like, if you're on the outside, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the pattern? What's the clue? What's the riddle? And sometimes this game would go on for hours, hours. And then you're just trying to make it really obvious what the riddle is. Like you're saying, I'll take this. I won't take that. And you're making it really, really, and there was always like this one guy. And I would, I mean, that guy would just be like so upset, getting so angry. Like, I don't understand the riddle. And then we find he, he just couldn't stand it. And that's kind of what's going on here. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. That's angry. <laughs> Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Now, this poor bride, she's between the proverbial rock and a hard place, right? If she doesn't find out the answer, they're going to kill her and her family. If she does, Samson's going to metaphorically kill her. What's a Philistine girl supposed to do? <laughs> Verse 16, Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And here's why we needed to know about the parents. Behold, I haven't told my father or my mother. And shall I tell you? Now we know why he didn't tell his parents. This is truly his riddle alone. Nobody in the world knows the answer to this riddle except one guy. And that leads us to another portent or premonition in the story of Judges. Because look at verse 17. She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. Nice party. And on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. And once you have read the entire Samson event, your eyes get, they just, they get stuck on that phrase, because she pressed him hard, because those are the exact words used of another woman in Samson's life, one that would uncover his secret Nazarite vow. For a strong man, he sure has a weak spot. Samson crumbles at the sight of a gorgeous woman and concedes at the sound of her endless nagging. She is not the first man to be undone by a woman. So he tells her. He tells her the riddle, and she tells them. Verse 17, she told the riddle to her people. And then just when Samson's about to click buy a purchase on the Ikea website for a brand new closet, 30 clothes, uh, the men of the city, verse 18, on the seventh day, before the sun went down, like 11th hour, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Oh, man. Not only do they solve his riddle, they gloatingly pack 
pick it up in a neat little verse, like the one in which he delivered it to them. Remember the riddle? Out of the eater came something sweet. Out of the strong came something sweet. Who's the eater? Lion. Something sweet. Honey. And this verbal jousting continues. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. This is a little bit obscure, but it's an interesting response because the whole situation escalates rapidly. Plow with my heifer appears to be, or at least to have, sexual undertones to it. A euphemistic way of saying that his fiance has been cohorting with all or some of these 30 companions. And so if that's true, if that's what he means by that, you can understand how his rage shoots to the moon so quickly. It's not just that she has betrayed the, the meaning of the riddle, his secret. She has betrayed him as a man and a future husband. But a bet is a bet, right? So now the Philistines suffer at the hand of Samson. Samson knows exactly where to get 30 changes of clothes. And it's not the gap. Verse 19, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who, to, who had told the riddle. Ashkelon is not nearby. It's about 40 kilometers away. But it was a leading city, one of the five cities of the Philistines, and the spirit of the Lord suddenly overpowers Samson in his jealous rage, and he hikes 40 kilometers, shows up at Ashkelon, kills 30 men by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, I got a lot of questions. Uh, who were these 30 guys? What did the city of Ashkelon do when Samson just showed up and started killing men and ripping the clothes off their back and maybe throwing them into a donkey cart and hauling them all away? We don't know. What did the Timnahites do when he shows up with 30 changes of clothing and just dumps them there? All we know that is after he fulfills his bet, he, he, he pays the wager. In verse 19, in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. That classic pouty husband move. You know, dropped off the blood-stained wardrobe and went home to sulk. But it gets worse, verse 20. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Yeah. <laughs> so now, adding insult to injury, his wife marries his best man. That's rough, man. It's also the next secret because nobody tells Samson this. And we have to keep it in mind as we move into scene two. Some saviors are just spurned lovers who take revenge on their betrayers. So the cycle restarts. Philistine interaction, chapter 15, verse one. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat and said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. So Samson seems to get over things quickly as you read his story. He's kind of an odd duck that way. But a little time passes. He cools off. He decides to make amends. I don't imagine his fiance enjoyed being called a heifer <laughs> uh, and plowing with other men. 
nor being under a death threat, and in a second being compared to her sister. (laughs) But just because they got off to a rocky start doesn't make her look any worse to Samson. So flowers and chocolates in hand, or if you like, a young goat. (laughs) Samson shows up to make up and make out. And I wonder what it was like to be that woman's dad. Now the secret is exposed and the betrayal becomes known. What was the secret? We saw it back in verse 20. Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Samson has shown up. He is ready to consummate the marriage. And then dad has to get in the doorway and say, no, 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 no. Even us lousy Philistines have some decency. And since you killed a bunch of us and disappeared, I figured that was the end of you. So I gave her in marriage to your best man. (laughs) And here's her sister. She's prettier. Wow, this is really relational functionality at its best. Uh, Her father would not allow him to go in, and her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. What's the sister thinking? What's the other sister thinking? This is bad. This, This stuff makes the Jerry Springer show seem like, okay, that's just normal. Verse 4, his father and mother, remember back in verse 4, in chapter 14, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. It is likely that not even Samson himself knew that all of this was from the Lord. He's certainly not living like a Nazarite in the sense of being all devoted to Yahweh and his ways. He's trying to marry a Philistine. But God is going to use him in spite of him. And so the Philistines suffer at the hand of Samson. Do you remember Netscape? How about Firefox? (laughs) Verse 3, Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. This may be like a a little far removed for us to understand what's happening, but this is the equivalent of wiping out all the grocery stores in Toronto for a year. It is a massive blow. People will die because of this. So Samson captures... Kids, can you imagine catching a fox? Well, how about a jackal? Because it's probably closer to what we would understand as a jackal, part of the canine family, little dogs that run around in packs, usually about 30 of them. Maybe that's how he was able to get 300. And so he gets these jackals. We're never told how he did it. And we're never told how you take jackals and tie their tails together. That of itself sounds amazing to me. A lot of mysteries here. But he does all of that, and then he sets these creatures loose in the gardens and the fields of the Philistines. Now, presumably, two jackals tied at the tail with a flaming torch chasing them (laughs) would not run in a straight line. (laughs) But they would carry them all over everywhere, and a mass of field fires would begin. And so even if you manage to put out this fire, there's 15 more over there. And so there is utter devastation. The firefoxes took out the stacked grain. That's what 
We used to call shocks of wheat when it's all gathered up and put down on the butt end and stood in the field ready for harvest, ready to be gathered. And the standing grain, that's all the grains and corns that are still growing in the field waiting harvest. And the olive orchards, the source of all your olive oil, all of it is burned to the ground. By the way, Philistia is grain country. Dagon, their primary fake god, is the god of grain. Maybe that's why Samson's firefoxes are so successful. Almost like Yahweh is making a point. For the Philistine town of Timnah, it is catastrophe. It is economic disaster. It's a feeding crisis, not just for your own family, but all your livestock. Everything is lost. No grains to sell, no wheat to grind into flour, no olive oil for your skin, your kitchen, or your lamps. And the Philistines ask the obvious question, verse 6, who has done this? And that leads, it's a good question, but it leads to revenge. And the third and last scene in this failed marriage. Scene three, some saviors are just broken widowers who strike down their enemies. Philistine interaction, cycle restarts. They said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he, the Timnite, has taken his, Samson's wife, and given her to his, Samson's companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Probably burned the house down over top of them. So in an effort to pay back Samson, the Philistines kill Samson's fiance, his supposed wife, and her dad, burning down the house over them, just like the 30-man wedding party had threatened to do if she didn't find out the riddle. This was meant as retribution against Samson. They're fighting fire with fire, if you like. You burn down our crops and our livelihood, we will burn down your Philistine wife. But what's the secret? Apparently, these guys never got the memo that the wedding had been canceled. She wasn't his wife. But we know that secret. And the revenge of the Philistines leads to greater vengeance by the judge Samson. So Samson harms the Philistines. Verse 7, he said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed at the cleft of the rock of Etam. This is an easily skipped over little verse. Whatever striking them hip and thigh means, it's the same idea as a great blow. And typically a great blow means a lot of people died. A lot of Philistines died. How Samson did that, where he did that, when exactly he did it, we're never, we're never told. But having lost the apple of his eye, Samson unleashes the fury of his hand. And so the pattern repeats. The Philistines think they're going to give it to Samson, and then Samson just enacts greater retribution on them. Once the smoke clears, the dust settles, Samson retreats into Israel, takes residence in the cleft of a rock, basically a cave, and we end there. Okay, God bless you, go home. (laughs) Or maybe we try to ask the question, What are we supposed to do with all this? 
You look at these three headings again. Some saviors are just red-blooded men who go after a good-looking girl. Some saviors are just spurned lovers who take revenge on their betrayers. Some saviors are just broken widowers who strike down their enemies. And even though God uses them, in the end, a judge, a savior like that, really is an embarrassment. Aren't you amazed at God's mercy to use such an embarrassing man? Aren't you amazed at the mercy of God to keep all of his promises to his people when things were so bad that Samson is the best you can do? Aren't you amazed at God's grace to send another man when things, friends, were just as bad? But rather than send a mere man, he sent the God-man, a true, glorious, sinless deliverer, the last and the final Savior, Jesus Christ. Some saviors are just red-blooded men who go after a good-looking girl. The last Savior is a real man who shed his blood for his ugly bride. Some saviors are just spurned lovers who take revenge on their betrayers. The last savior is a spurned deliverer who rescued his betrayers. Some saviors are just broken widowers who strike down their enemies. The last savior is a resurrected king who will return in glory to lift up his people. And there is no reason to be ashamed of him. Do you feel about Jesus Christ the way some people feel about Uncle Louis? And I want to say to you, Christian brother, Christian sister, rejoice in the salvation of God, even if the means of that salvation strike you as a little embarrassing. There's a whole problem in the New Testament of people called Judaizers. They're embarrassed by the cross. And so they say, let's talk about dietary laws, let's talk about circumcision, let's talk about traditions, let's talk about that stuff, because that's normal, and the whole dying on a cross naked thing, that's bizarro, it's embarrassing. Paul said to the Galatians, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Can you say that with the Apostle Paul? Or do you talk about Jesus like he was your Uncle Louis? As we will see, the Israelites of Samson's day were totally embarrassed by Uncle Samson. They didn't understand his actions as a deliverance. So embarrassed that they will eventually, like, say, hey, can we turn you over to the Philistines so they can kill you? And then they do that, and you can just sort of see everybody, like, going back to their little oppressed villages and towns and saying, well, let's just get back to talking about sports and the weather and traffic, office scuttlebutt. <laughs> Let's not talk about Timnah, Uncle Samson. Huh, embarrassing. 
But is that us? Let's chat all about the neighborhood, our lawns, even politics, but not the cross. Not that. Not Jesus. It's an embarrassment. Jesus cannot be presented with a warning label. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Israel should have stood up, pointed at Samson, and said, there's our Savior. Not exactly in the ways we expected, but he has delivered us nonetheless. How much more ought every Christian boldly point to the greater Samson, Jesus Christ, and say, there is our Savior. He hung on a cross, not exactly what we expected, but now he reigns in heaven. He is coming back to finally judge the living and the dead. The only warning label that needs to be read here is this one. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Have you? May God give us all the grace to glory in the shame of the cross. Let's pray together. And so, our God, we ask for that grace to boldly proclaim the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Even in the week before us, we pray that you would both grant opportunity and then grant grace for us not to just say, hey, I went to church or I'll pray for you, but to open our mouths and talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord Jesus, you told us there is only one way for people to get to heaven, and that is through you. I passed a bus this morning that told me all roads lead to heaven, and that's a lie. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. So grant us grace to boldly speak of this to all around us and to bring glory to your great name. Amen.